I would like to acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on Jar Jar Wurrung country. We pay our respects to the traditional custodians of this land and acknowledge leaders and elders past, present and future. Thank you. Hello and welcome. You are listening to Soul Care Bendigo's podcast, Naked. I'm your host, Gail Wilson, and together we will go through a series of storytelling, conversations and strategies about leaning into life's lessons, the good, the bad and the downright painful, as we journey back to ourselves and back to our intuition. Through the lens of witness and reflection, we will work our way through a series of raw, stripped-back, relatable topics and personal experiences. There will be laughter, tears and the occasional swear word because, hey, life is too short to hold back. So come along with me on this journey and let's talk life. You can follow and subscribe to Soul Care Bendigo's Naked to get notifications for upcoming episodes as they land in your space. So lend me your ears and your heart as we go through this journey together. Hello, hello, Soulies. As usual, when I think there is a topic that may not be appropriate for all ears, I like to give a little warning. Today, with our episode with Nathan Welsh, we are going to be discussing relationships. And part of an adult relationship is the big old S-E-X. So a word of warning, if you are listening with your children, be prepared for the conversations that might follow. And as always, we ask you to approach every episode with an open heart and an open mind. Take care and enjoy. Hello and welcome, Solis, to another episode of Soul Care Bendigo's podcast, Naked. Today we have a really tantalizing episode for you because I have my friend Nathan Welsh here. Nathan runs a local counseling service called Abundance Counseling and Hypnotherapy. Nathan also is a facilitator of the Men's Secret Circle, which is a beautiful space for men to come and share and debrief and vent and help encourage and build each other up. And also he's just awesome at living life to the fullest. So welcome my friend who is now your friend Nathan. Thanks, Gail. That's quite an introduction. Thanks for having me on and hello to all the listeners out there. This is very special because as folks might know from episode six, Haley and I had a chat about investing in yourself. So this is Nathan that Haley and I have invested in, in our counselling, for our parenting, for our relationships, for our past grief. And he has been instrumental in supporting and helping us be the best version of ourselves. So for that, I am eternally grateful. Today, I've asked Nathan to come on to the podcast because I want to discuss a topic that keeps coming up for me in my circles, in my salon, in parent chats, and it's certainly not a finger pointer. It's just an acknowledgement of a similar thing that's happening in many households. Even the most brilliant man can have the biggest temper. And I'm curious about anger because I think it has its place. And I think the purpose of it can get really confused. I'm just going to dive straight into a circumstance and I want you to please educate us and help us to really work with the fellas, work in our households, work in our family units, understand each other, create longevity for our marriages and all new and existing relationships that we have. How to identify where it sits in the female and in the male body. So the circumstance reads a bit like this, Nathan. Mum is angry. The kids are being turds. Mum is trying to create discipline. Generally speaking, most women will do that the long way around. 
we will try negotiation, we will try supporting them, we will try emotional allowances for developmental stuff. So we tend to do it a bit slower and gentler. I feel like what I'm hearing from a lot of females is then dad hears the disrespect, the back chatting, and feels inflamed and wants to go and protect the mum and put the kid in the place and comes in bigger, louder, harder, almost downright scary and intimidating, often using their body as a way to take up all the space. And what happens in that situation is the mum feels silenced. She feels like her opportunity is gone to create a boundary with her child. The kids are now scared shitless because someone came out of nowhere roaring and crazy and and now everyone's sad. Then mum has the responsibility to go and soothe the children who are now too far the other way. So how can we do this differently? How can the dad come and honour his female? How can the mum stand in her space and in her power to make sure that her point is getting across, that she has the ally in the father and still can swiftly handle the situation? And for the fellas who are listening, how can they identify and not react when their female is under attack? Tell me, enlighten us. How do we do this better? Because this is happening from zero to a thousand in households everywhere. So to give a short paraphrase or summary, women are seeking to discipline in the best way that they know how, taking into account all of the factors that have led up to them needing to educate or teach the kids how to do or say something differently. And dad overhears it in his mind, potentially not going as well as he would like it to. So he steps in with a level of assertion and dominance that is not constructive or conducive to the situation. So a few things might be happening there, and probably the biggest one is that men as a whole, as a masculine being, have we've lost our way a bit because we're not sure how and where we fit into society anymore. We've we've kind of lost sight of what our roles are. And then through that level of confusion, I think that we seek to pick up the slack in areas that are often unhelpful for us and unhelpful for our family. What I mean by that is if a man isn't allowed or encouraged to be assertive and to be dominant in terms of leading a relationship, leading the family unit, in terms of being disciplined and sticking to his values and going about his life in a way that feels satisfactory to him. And by satisfactory for a man, that means earning respect and status. Then there's going to be a little part of him that's missing, kind of like a void that feels a level of fear. And so you said, Gail, that the woman can often feel silenced because she does get silenced by this big energy that comes barreling into the room. And the kids end up feeling scared. So possibly the most valuable tool that I could teach anyone in relationship, and I mean in relationship with an intimate partner with their kids or even with their friends, is that a human will always unconsciously, outside of their awareness and totally inadvertently make us feel how they're feeling. So if a man comes flying into a room and causes a situation, or let's say it's not even flying in, he just steps in and causes a situation where kids end up feeling scared and a woman ends up feeling silenced, and he uses anger in order to create that, 
then he's literally done it from a place where he feels that he doesn't have a voice. And he feels that he's scared for some reason or another. And where it probably stems from is this societal confusion around men's roles. And it's scary for us when we're not allowed to use our voice in various places throughout our day. It's scary to us when we're not allowed to speak upon certain topics or about certain things. And that would bring about definitely a level of feeling silenced, which in the moment of seeing or perceiving disrespect of the mother, all of it gets lumped into one thing and gets projected into the situation and creates a really unhelpful outcome. It's going to be a matter of, I'm happy for you to step into the space. I'm happy for you to stand by me. But can you stand next to me? As in, we are a pair, we are together rather than coming in and taking away the game that I'm playing. Because it's the life, the game of life, really, isn't it? We're kind of teaching our kids how to be good humans and we're trying to do it differently to how it was done to us for a long time. And maybe that's that confusion as well for some of the guys is that this is all I know. So what would you say is a good way to respond to a situation like that rather than react? If you're Vice versa, whether it's the dad kind of getting beaten up by the kids or the mum kind of getting beaten up by the kids emotionally, what do you think is a really great response? Without a doubt, for a man, for myself, coming into a room and being a presence, like an energetic presence and a physical presence, I believe would be valuable to the woman. And then just to check in with her, to ask, hey, are you good here or do you want a hand or I'm just going to hang out here or, and sit on the couch? and just watch over this. Because that's our job or our role, our organic state is to be the protectors, the overwatchers. So to take a space where we can watch over a situation is probably plenty, because then the woman feels back to do her thing that she wanted to do anyway. And I think it would be really helpful as well for men to have a think about while they're sitting down there is this what the real woman really wants and needs? And checking in with her and asking it. And also, for what purpose do I feel the need to interject in such a big way? What am I actually making up for here? Where's the slack or the lack that I'm missing? Where am I not meeting myself or using my voice in other parts of my life that I feel the need to make up for it in the here and now? It's great thinking time and you being a supporter in the meantime. Yes, I love thinking time. I use it a lot in my life and it's made me quieter, which probably the world need a little bit quieter, Gail, let's be honest. <laughs> but it's that realisation of like exactly what you said, what is the purpose and is this going to have any value in the end? And will I regret this? I know that sometimes when our house and other houses around, the number one thing people can feel is like the shame afterwards. Yeah. And I think even to go just another layer slightly deeper to this, have a think about if this is a behavior that you don't think is helpful and that you feel like is not exactly you to ask yourself the question, where did I actually learn this? Given that all of our adulthood is just a mirror or a reflection of our childhood, then to parent in a certain way, because kids will drag out our deepest, darkest stuff that we've had hidden from ourselves, 
And when they do, we go back to an old unconscious programming that we learnt when we were younger. So if the way to resolve conflict or come to a resolution of some sort when there's a misalignment or a discipline piece in the house through expression of anger or yelling or harsh words, could there be a better way? And if there's a better way, then I must have learnt this way from someone else because this isn't the real me. Because our parents and our parents before them were brought up in environments that we were brought up in. They were stressful, they had money problems, everyone was struggling to find their way financially and emotionally as well. And we didn't have resources like this podcast, like counsellors, like therapists, like facilitators, like Gail that do the things she does in order to help people move through past trauma. So everyone's carrying around generations and generations of emotional shit that isn't serving them. And that's the stuff that comes up in those moments when the kids, bam, trigger it off. And I think this is a perfect time for my friend, the listener, to contemplate what are you carrying in your backpack? And does it need to be as heavy as you drag along through life? The liberation of taking that invisible backpack off your shoulders. Okay, let's pull out shame. Let's take the load off of being unseen, unheard. Let's maybe take out neglect. Let's maybe take out competition. And taking those individual items, those are big emotions that were unmet, unseen, unheard, out. And you can do that through the support of counselling. You can do that through the support of wellbeing. It's not something that anyone expects you to do on your own because we're all constantly learning. And that's why we go to see therapists and we go to see facilitators because these people are trained. And most likely they have life experiences that cause them to follow that path to then want to help themselves and then want to help you because feeling good feels really good and the right person won't want to hold that just to themselves. They'll want to spread it out into the community like you and I do. Coming back to relationships, let's get a little bit hotter. Let's get a little hotter under the collar. So let's talk about sex through relationships, through longevity. Recently, I'm going to be very candid. In a session, Nathan asked me how often my husband and I were doing it. And I gave him a figure, which I thought was a really good figure. And he was like, not enough. I was like, what? What do you mean not enough? Are the people in the world doing this more often? And he's like, you need to. It's your medicine. It's your connection. It's the one thing in the world the two of you can do that no one else is a part of. It is your time for connection, is your time for specialness. Nothing else exists outside that bubble. And so then I'm like, oh, right, oh, I, better, I better step the game up here. And I'm thinking, geez, there's not enough hours in the day. And one son's awake till all hours of the morning. And I remember having these internal thoughts. And, and I said just simply to Nathan, so what? Are like people waking up at 4 a.m. for a shag? And he's like, yes, some people are. And I thought, oh, God. I better get my bloody party dress on and come into the story. So talk to me about sex. Talk to us about how we need to change the dialogue of the job or the chore that many people feel that sex is. Why does it get the chore label? What is not getting met that the person doesn't want it more? Speak to us, oh wise one. (laughs) So interesting that you led into that. Speak to this. Because everybody's doing it, but nobody's talking about it. And that is actually the core of the problem. 
nobody's talking about it because it feels like it has so much charge in it for a lot of people societally and amongst our friends and even in our own, well, especially in our own heads, this is where all the stuff bunches up. We have these huge expectations on ourselves to meet sex in a certain way or to meet our partner in a certain way. And those things can get in the way as well as we live in a society where everybody's trying to keep up with the Joneses. So everybody's so bloody busy. Everybody's stressed out. Everyone's exhausted. And there's not actually that much time, effort, and energy left there to have sex or to connect in a way that is deep and intimate, that is psychological and spiritual and physical, the way that sex should happen. And I get it completely. It's so easy to get lost in the mundane tasks of the day, in work and then overtime, and then making sure kids are ready and everything like that. Or they might be getting up during the night, mom, I can't sleep, mom, I need attention, mom, I need you to talk to me because you haven't talked to me or spent adequate amount of quality time with me during the day. So preparing the time before the sex actually comes about, which brings me to a very important piece around foreplay where a lot of couples the common misconception is that foreplay is this 15 minute affair of lick kiss and suck and then you just get it on but ultimately foreplay is a 15 day affair and that's why a lot of people aren't having sex let alone having good sex they're getting lost in in their life all of the other things and forgetting about the most important thing the thing that actually makes them romantic and makes them intimate which is getting naked and getting spiritual together so the foreplay for 15 days is it's the checking in with your partner on their emotional needs it's asking them how their day was it's checking in with how they're feeling throughout the day. It's offering up little pieces of fantasies or dreams or wantings or needings or desires and texting them to them. We, have, we chastise these things that we carry around in our pockets, our phones a lot, but they're very valuable tools in relationships, especially in busy lives. It takes two seconds to take a photo and send a cheeky caption to it can't wait to see you for a kiss and a cuddle tonight. And now that might not be sex, but it definitely goes in the bank of building true intimacy and connection, which can then flow on into sex later on. So to all the blokes that complain that my woman isn't putting out enough, where are you not creating the space? Where are you not meeting this woman's emotional needs so that she feels safe to lead in? Where are you not supporting her? Where are you not providing for her so that she can be soft and she can be flowy and she can do her emotional thing and actually feel into what the essence of being a woman is? So if you can create that space, you'll never have to ask for sex. You'll just have to snap your fingers. Or it'll just it'll come down to something as simple as a look or a raise of an eyebrow. And I think from a female's point of view, think about the language you use thinking about it's not just about you giving, but it's also about you receiving. And if the receivership isn't what you desire, if it isn't needing the needs of what your body craves, do you, A, need to learn more about your body yourself? One thing that we do at Soul Care Bendigo in studio and in 
some of the retreats that I've got coming up with some couples is it's called the New Foreplay. It's a little program that I'm running and it's about getting back to self-touch within your own body. Now, I'm not talking about masturbation. In this essence, it's not about touching any of the X-rated zones. It is about stroking your fingers along your arm, touching your face in a way that feels safe. So if you aren't in a romantic relationship and you're listening to this, coming back to connecting back with your own body, feeling that goddess that lives within inside you, harboring her, helping her feel safe, letting her to know what her desires are, how she wants to be touched. And then you need to pass that information on. You need to teach your lover how to do that. You need to teach and show your lover what you like. So inhibition is a really big one with sex. A lot of people are still having it with the light off. A lot of people are still having it under the blanket, half clothes on, all those sorts of things which would probably scream, I don't feel safe. I don't feel safe. I don't feel comfortable. I know it feels good, but I'm not necessarily happy to 100% commit my body or your eyes to everything that it is. It doesn't matter what size you are. It doesn't matter how soft or squishy, how tall or short. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter. And I often say to the women in my groups and circles, every one of us has a goddess of intimacy that lives with inside of us. Now, the way I help people find this is through personal touch. But touching those zones that exist in our body. So for me, she lives in my neck. So if my neck is out, the anger and the ferocity that I live with life is extreme. But equally, if I'm touched there, if I'm kissed there, I will just melt into the carpet and become effervescent, transparent, translucent. It's like this higher self rises. Recently, I had a discussion around the dining table at a restaurant with a bunch of friends and I said, where do your goddesses live? And a few of them were like, what? What goddess? Ah, she doesn't come out and, you know, all those sorts of things. And another friend, I just said, think about on your body, where do you like to be touched? And a friend sort of sat up at the table with me and she said, I think it lives in my wrist. When it's touched and stroked, that's a really nice space for me. But equally, on a bad day, if the wind catches it, it's really cold and I want to cover it up. And so we all kind of went away thinking, where does she live? Is she in your neck? Is she behind your knee? Is she your inner thigh? Is she up on your chest? Is she in your heart space? Is she the sides of your cheeks? Is really identifying where your go zone is. And again, sharing that with someone else if you're going to embark on that. Because once you find that zone and you share that, realizing that, again, the agenda for the other person who chooses to engage that space. So let's talk about that, Nathan. The agenda of a fella or the instigator, and then the mixed messaging that someone who's in a bit of a dark place might misconstrued what the person is actually asking for. Mm. So important, this work that you're doing with teaching women about how to create a safe space with inside themselves. Because a woman's nervous system, as crazy as this sounds, is actually wired for fear. Like, the natural state of being for a woman in her nervous system is to be in a heightened emotional state and that's wholly and solely driven by fear. It is literally there as an evolutionary thing to inspire men to protect, which creates leaders out of us, which inspires us to do better, to grow more, to get stronger, faster, to become smarter. So women are the, are the drivers of the evolution of humanity. In order for a woman to feel pleasure, she first has to feel safe. 
And that safety usually has to be built in herself and with herself. And through self-touch, through the workshops that Gail's talking about are a great place to start this because if you've never done it before or you've never seen it or had it modelled for you, you might not actually know what self-pleasure looks like or let alone what it's meant to feel like. And from person to person, it's a completely different experience. But it can be, as Gail said, like the touch of our fingertips running together down our wrists, our arms, our neck. And then it can even extend down. We have sensitive parts on our forearms, like just inside of our wrist. And I invite you listeners that are here today to just try, find something in front of you, even if it's your leg or your tummy, and just roll your wrist back and forward on it. Make a circular motion with your wrist. It's a really sensitive spot where you can get a lot of feedback from. So through that, if you're able to experience pleasure on your own, you'll be able to find a place in your body that feels safe, that feels calm and feels soft. Then once you find that, you can take that out into your intimate life with a partner or a friend or whoever else you're playing around with. (laughs) The neighbor. The neighbor, yeah. And for men, the biggest piece is essentially it's consent at its very core and a very, very start and a foundation of safety for a woman is consent. And what that means is checking in with her every step of the way, even when it gets cheesy. Because as long as it it is focused and intentional and it's conscious, it shows the woman that you're taking time and care to be attentive to her needs. So it might be that you ask, is it okay if I put my hand here? Does that feel all right? Can I move it down here? How does that feel for you? Is there anything else that you would like right now? Is there anything that you wouldn't like? Is there something that I should do or shouldn't do right now? Maybe you would do this in your sexy voice, not in the teacher voice. Yes. <laughs> not in your, your excitable voice that I'm using right now. <laughs> so it's checking in with her and checking in with her body also. So slowing everything right down. like. The up against the wall, over the bench, throwing around the bedroom if you're that way inclined stuff is amazing, but it can't be that way all the time. There needs to be a blend where a woman in her mind and in her body is able to feel safe through feeling trusted, and that means taking slow care and attention. So asking verbal consent is great, and also when you're running your hands over her, or you're holding her, or you're squeezing her, feel into what happens in her skin and in the muscles beneath it. And what I mean is notice if there's any twitching or contractions or any withdrawing of any way, and check in with it by softening your touch, by asking questions, is there something happening for you right now? Would you like to be touched somewhere else? Or just taking the bloody lead and rolling off. Or even picking up her hand and saying, put my hand where you want it to go. And it might go straight to Z Mm. or it might go back to A. Mm. You don't know. Going back on what you just said, I think that's a really important thing to say is that when we have these little, and again, you can use your own language that you use in your own bedroom, have these little sexy consents along the way. It helps her feel seen and that you actually want to be with her as a human, as a person, as your mother, as your wife, rather than just your only option. 
in a consensual relationship, and this is one I hear a lot on, a lot on, is that the wording might go something like, I feel like he's only having sex with me because I'm the only one available and he's only legally, you know, in a marriage supposed to be having sex. I don't feel seen. I don't feel like it's that it's me he craves. It's more the action. And then that makes the person feel like shit. Again, though, there has to be a level of responsibility in your own personal confidence on the work that you do to not have these false little stories come up that haunt us, that come from a darker place where our self-worth is low and really recognising that he could actually just want to connect. Let's talk on that because you and I had a joke before we even turned the camera and the microphone on to say that we were joking about young lovers and fellas talking about wanting this young lover who offers so much more or the newness of something new. It doesn't even have to mean younger. It just means this spontaneous lover kind of connection. But on reflection, can you share with us what the fellas really identified that they were looking for? Yeah, blokes, it's a common thing that I hear in my circles and even with people that I work with that blokes will quite often say that that they want a woman with a higher sex drive. They want a woman that's going to be hot for them or just ready any time. And then because I talk to so many people and I have so many different conversations, I'm able to draw from many places. I notice and hear when blokes do have it on tap, when they meet a woman who is feeling safe in her body and in her mind, she's stepped into her power, she's liberated herself from the old stories of past and she's able to express herself in a way that is sexual, that is spiritual, that is everything that these men think that they wanted, they shit their pants. Because (laughs) what they actually wanted was connection and closeness and love and safety. They didn't actually want sex. And that that wanting came from a level of insecurity that by virtue of that insecurity, they were actually unable to hold or provide a, a container for this woman that's turned up in all of her bigness. You are spot on. So we're going to slippity slide into another topic that runs through this. Excuse my little entry point there. Do you consent to that, Nathan? Yes. So I want to talk about And I don't know if it's just the Western world because I can't speak to other cultures. When the hell did we confuse intimacy with sexuality? As in that the end game in the sex was the only value in the connection. Can you go through with us? So I want to talk about eye contact. You know, it's really interesting. I don't know who labelled one person intimately sharing non-sexual, non-verbal communication with another person as flirting, for example. So holding a conversation, giving another fella a hug around the shoulder that's not your partner. When did touch, eye contact, intensity become sexually, like when did it get twisted? Do you know what I mean? Fascinating question. So (laughs) like... When did the level of insecurity of humans in general get to a place where we're unable to express our kinesthetic, which is our feeling side, we're unable to hug or hold hands or stare or have even certain conversations? I think probably when we got so busy. Yeah. Or threatened our self-worth. So then everything's a 
come on? Like did people, was it the parenting from different generations that maybe there wasn't much love shown unless it was sexual love? And so when people have things like someone putting their arm around them, which has no sexual connotation or invitation, when someone makes extended eye contact or gives you a smile, that the receiver has this absolute different message that comes through. Mm. Maybe because we've come so disconnected via social media and technology that any bit of actual intimacy is interpreted as romanticism or sexualization. It's such a shame. We've lost this face-to-face contact that we have with people. I went to a festival about a year ago. It was a Tantra festival. And despite common misconceptions, Tantra actually has very little to do with sex and it's everything to do with energy. We did this exercise where we stood in front of another human and stared into their eyes and allowed ourselves to drop the need for judgment of ourselves because usually we're judging what the other person's thinking of us first and then it gets uncomfortable so we project it back onto them. Oh, they're overweight, they look this certain way, they're showing up like this, they're standing like this. And it's a projection of an internal state, which is why I say that maybe this fear stemmed from insecurity in ourselves. And that insecurity came from this society we live in. And I'm going to talk about keeping up with the Joneses again, where we've placed so much bloody pressure on ourselves to wear the right clothes and to to drive the right car and live in the right places and hang out with the right people. And and go and drink or eat at the right restaurants, that we've kind of lost sight of the thing that's really important to us, which is being synchronous, which is connection. And sincere connection. Yeah, because we're getting we're getting little dopamine-fueled doses of it on social media all the time through the bright lights and carefully curated feed that We've actually lost our driver for face-to-face connection. And I do want to say too, something that's really important is to acknowledge that there's been a certain level of hangover post the COVID bullshit. I think that because I, I watch people all the time, I'm a big observer, and I watch people on a level that I watch their microfacial expressions, I watch their body language, I watch the way they breathe, the pitching and toning of their voice, everything like that. Yes, I'm psychoanalyzing everyone all the time. It's so fun. We're all doing it. It's just that we do it on different levels and for different reasons. So coming out of COVID, our nervous systems, they're not used to being around people anymore. And when I say that, I mean that our ability to regulate ourselves in the face of challenging conversations or tough questions actually took a massive dive. It was a really shit thing to happen for humanity on a whole heap of levels. And when we came out of COVID, everyone was going, yay, we can see people again. We can go to the places and do the things. Yet no one did it because the anxiety that would come up in their body, the fear, the contraction and constriction of their breathing and their nervous system just wouldn't allow them to have those face-to-face conversations. So eye contact and being around people for any extended period of time, I just think we're out of practice. 
It is. It is a practice. I would totally agree with you. I see the same at Soul Care is that there's a lot of grief from COVID. There's a lot of people just not sure where they fit in anymore or if they want to fit in where they were is a really big one as well. Like, I'm not sure if I want to go back to those friendships. I'm not sure if I want to go back to that job. I got the opportunity to disconnect and isolate from family members that weren't good for me that I had this obligation to. So I think there's a lot of people in a real kind of space of maybe I'm going to hand select what I go back to and it won't be as it was before. That's not a bad thing. It's just taking people a long time. Mm. And that's when, again, seeing a counsellor, retreats, workshops, energy sessions, all of those things help you get really clear on who is good for you, what is good for you, what fills your cup, what makes you feel safe, and giving you permission to really follow through with that and not carry all of the old stories into the future with us. It is an opportunity, but it is a bit scary. And it does mean as we go on our personal development journeys, as we go through seeing counsellors or seeing psychologists or putting boundaries in place for our new relationships to feel safe, it can be a bit of a lonely journey. People tend to need to have to go within themselves a little bit. And the grace in life is giving people the space to do that, to reassess how they live their life, what they purchase, where they go, who they spend time with. So I think there's a lot of people on that journey, but maybe not doing it with support. So then what happens is they just stay home. But humans actually do need other humans. You just have to make sure they're the right ones for you. That's right. Like we're the sum of the five people that we spend the most amount of time with. And if we're spending time with no one, then we don't really get any new ideas. There's no stimulations or challenges in order to help us think differently or come up with a new way of doing things. And that isolation, without a doubt that there's a power in it, it's super helpful to identify and acknowledge how long you've actually been isolating yourself for and to what level you're isolating yourself as well because obviously there's varying varying levels of it. And then setting an actual time frame or a goal for yourself that, okay, I'm going to work through the things. I'm going to spend some time alone to, in order to reflect and to be introspective and to work out what I like and what I value and where I fit into the world. And then setting a time frame like an end goal. Okay, I actually need to reintroduce myself into the jungle now and become one with the animals again in order to grow and find things to use for my next steps. Even just to create memories. Memories don't come from the couch watching Netflix. No. They don't. They They really don't. And there's a place in rest. Absolutely, there's a place in turning the telly on and watching a show. But if that's the only thing you're doing in life, in the end, that's not going to create any legacy. That's not going to create any memories for the family members around you. Not that you owe them memories, but again, when you find the right people that you want to do life with, there is such magic in that. Such magic. How do we find though? Do you think, Nathan, it comes back to getting support and understanding your true values? When you know what your own values in, which is the purpose for which you do life, then you find other people who like, for say, for example, Nathan and I both have, I think we have the same value in it, like adventure. Mm-hmm. And so for us, it would be, okay, maybe I'll join a four-wheel drive club because I know that those people have the same value as me. 
or maybe I'm going to book a retreat where we go through a jungle somewhere, go for a walk or a waterfall chasing club or something. So you know that your cup's going to be met with other people who are so excited for those same things in life that you are. So maybe the first step for people as they're walking through this journey or coming back into life is working on their values, would you say? Our values are the things that drive anything and everything and a great place to start. Like this is a big statement and a big question, but some people need it. They need the shock of something impactful. And that is, if I fucking died tomorrow, would I be satisfied with what I've done so far? And I can guarantee that most people listening to this will say, no, no, I'm not. There's so many things. When I think about it like that, if my life just ended, blip, gone. Tomorrow, have I done enough in the years that I've been on this earth? That makes my heart hurt to think that people aren't fulfilling their purpose. Yeah. And what a great place to start from, though. If you're stuck and you're not sure where, if you need a great motivator, you've got to start from zero. Then work out where do you get a tingle? What lights your soul on fire or makes your heart race a little bit? And it might mean that that you've squashed that out of existence through fear and fear has stopped you. What would you be able to do or what would you be capable of if the fear wasn't there? Mm. And then you've found something that you really value. If you value something highly enough to fear it, enough to stop it, then imagine what it would feel like on the other side of it. Like, where could you go? What could you do? Who could you meet? What could you experience? What could you feel? The whole point in the human experience is to feel. Hallelujah. It sure is. It is that simple, Nathan. It is that simple. Find out what lights you up. Find out how to monetize it because we do need to create a level of abundance for ourselves to live life, to eat the food we need to eat, to live in the houses that keep us safe. I thank you for your wisdom. I thank you for coming and sitting in my dining room with the golden retriever at your feet. We don't always do it the most orthodox way, but shit, we get it done. It's been a good time. At least this is naked. It's real and it's raw as conversations need to be, as we need to keep practicing. That's right. Hmm. Thank you to all of our beautiful friends out there who listen to this podcast. We hope that you got There were so many gems, so many good gold nuggets in this episode. Take them, think on them, reflect on them, journal on them, meditate on them, have a conversation around a dining table, bring the conversation to your bedroom. Don't stop moving forward. And that's all for today, folks. As always, thank you for letting me your ears and your hearts. I feel so grateful and blessed to be able to share these stories with you and bring us together as a community. This is Gail Wilson, and this is Soul Care Bendigo's podcast, Naked. Don't forget to follow and subscribe so that you get notifications on the next episode as it lands. Take care and just be kind to yourself.